Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. Today we're going to talk about the future of our high schools. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have three guests with us today. Jim Harvey is returning. He's the uh, interim superintendent of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. He's been with us once before, so he's back for a second time. And we have Mark Fletcher, the principal of Bloomington High School South, and Jeff Henderson, principal of Bloomington High School North. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Mark, Jim, Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Glad Thank to you have all nice. of you here. Hope we you should don't... mention this is a really colorful group today. Everybody's wearing their team colors. That's right. And, uh, That's right. We've got purple. We've got maroon. Big game tonight. And Jim's in the middle with... Colts. Colts, Colts blue. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Colts blue. Oh, and our engineer is wearing his Colts, his Colts well, shirt. So, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the first question, Colts or Bears? Jeff? Uh, I'm voting for the Colts for and for Rex to have a good game. Okay. Jim? I would second that. Mark? Rex, MVP, Colts win by one. Okay. Ooh. Mary Catherine? Uh, yeah, what they said. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. To the topic at hand, we want to talk about high schools and uh, high school, I guess, reform, reinvention, um, doing things differently. And I want to turn to Jim first and talk about the whole idea of uh, you know, why do we need to reinvent our high schools or do we need to reinvent our high schools? I think probably the better way to phrase this is uh, that we're talking about high school improvement. Uh, or redesign, maybe, because um, I don't want to convey the message at all that uh, there aren't really good things going on in, in our high schools, because I believe that they are, and I believe that most kids are benefiting from that. But by the same token, I think we recognize and have recognized, because this conversation began um, last year and actually has gone on for some time in the school district and clearly has gone on nationally. But uh, that there are some kids that we could serve better. And I think that that's been the focus of the graduation work group over the last 18 months of uh, are there things that we could do to improve our schools that would provide better educations, better connections uh, with kids that, that aren't doing real well. All right. Now, Mark, you and Jeff, were were you the uh, co-chairs of the graduation work group? Is that right? Or were you just both on it? We both uh, ended up chairing separate subcommittees. Um, we both served on the graduation work group um, since its inception. And then uh, partway through the process of the group, uh, we were split into two separate subcommittees. And Mark and I uh, actually co-chaired each of those committees separately uh, with a teacher um, assisting us uh, at each level. Okay. So what, what did that committee do? What was that committee looking at? The committee that I was uh, responsible for was looking at uh, a model models that existed currently nationally that, that we might be interested in taking a look at. And um, that grew out of a conversation uh, around the guiding principles um, that evolved from a lot of uh, questions that we presented to stakeholders about what was working mm -hmm. currently in our high schools, excuse me, and what wasn't working um, and what we expected students to really graduate from high school knowing um, the skill set that we wanted them to have. And from that, we branched off into uh, a current reality group, which Mark can speak to a little bit more specifically, mm -hmm. and, and a model investigation committee. And uh, my group took the eight guiding principles and then began looking at uh, national reform models or redesign models, uh, depending upon what terminology you prefer to use, um, and, and came up with a list of eight. Uh, that list was not meant to be exhaustive at all, but as a starting point um, for different groups uh, of, of models that really held promise to address the eight guiding principles that we'd established in the larger group. Okay. Mark? Current reality subgroup was uh, what our group undertook, and that was basically just to determine where we were in our corporation uh, relative to some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses that we could identify ourselves. And uh, so that's what that group kind of worked on. If, we, if we're going to go somewhere, make some changes, first we need to find out where we are. And so mm -hmm. that laid the foundation for exploring maybe some of these models then that, Jeff group, that Jeff's group was a part of. Okay. So eight, eight different models. Uh, the, we're going to talk a lot about the, the Napa New Tech High School and the New Tech Foundation, New Technology Foundation, because that's uh, the timing of the show is sort of coincident with a trip that, that you all took and 
I was fortunate enough to go along to uh, to look at that model. But that's one of the eight models. That's correct. And what are some of the other models? Um, Asia Society for International Studies was one model. Um, expeditionary learning was another model. Um, big picture. Big picture. Uh, international baccalaureate. Uh, was there. So mm-hmm. it's early college, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Smaller learning communities, which is not necessarily a model, but kind of a philosophical way of uh, dividing schools. Mm-hmm. Do all of these, do all of those models, um, I know the new technology model is a, has a cap of 400 students in a high school. Do all the models have sort of a, a smaller learning community notion to them? Yeah, I think... Um, Nationally, right now, the the four hundred number is is kind of the target. Uh, really, all of those models are are designed to help increase uh, relationships between students and teachers. And um, in smaller settings, uh, you're often able to develop more personal relationships uh, with with the instructors uh, yeah. and the students. Yeah. And I think that really becomes part of the difficulty as you look at this and try and balance that or, or see how some of these would fit within the current framework because we have two large comprehensive high schools that were envisioned 50 years ago by James B. Conant. Um, and, and with that design in mind, I think they've been very successful. And so how do you keep the best of those and but also uh, create the, the, the kind of environment that Jeff's talking about in terms of the relationships. And I'm not saying that we haven't done a number of things along that line in our current high schools, but these smaller schools uh, have a different feel to them in terms of the connection. So how do you balance the, the uh, advantage, for example, of size uh, that you're not going to have uh, second-year calculus or advanced uh, AP physics or uh, some of those high-level advanced classes without the economy or efficiency of size. You get those because you have a a school that's 1,600 students. You go to a 400-student school, you're not going to have four languages or five. You're going to have one. And so uh, there are some real trade-offs when you trade small for, for, you know, uh, or you trade to a small uh, school environment, and you really got to be careful I think, in terms of planning how we do this so that it's a win-win, a plus-plus, not that, that uh, kids have to, to make – well, and, and they do. They do already make choices between uh, what they're going to do. Um, and we see this. Parents struggle with this with kids, their kids all the time in terms of, of how they manage their time. Mm-hmm. Is it homework? Is it basketball or Sounds of South or the North Jazz Band or whatever uh, that takes kids' time. And it's a, it is something that uh, teenagers wrestle with. Uh, follow your kid for a day. You'll be amazed at the kind of days they put in. I mean, their days are, are unbelievable compared to ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think we're work, being worked to death. But, <laughs> but no, but I mean, you look yeah. at what time kids get up in the morning and the kind of things. By the time they go to bed at night, finishing whatever their email or the homework and stuff, I mean, they put in really long days. And so, um, but it is about choices. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we improve the kind of choices that are available? Mm-hmm. Mark? I thought it was interesting. One of the gentlemen working with the New Tech Foundation said, boy, this group is uh, really kicking the tires on this, mm-hmm. you know, really looking at this closely and really answering or asking some pretty critical questions relative to what this is all about. And I took that kind of as a compliment for our school district because, uh, you know, while everybody knows that we're one of the lowest funded school corporations in the state of Indiana, so our resources are finite. Uh, we are also in the top quartile, in the top part of the top quartile in most of the performance uh, categories for school corporations. So with limited resources and a pretty successful student population being served currently, we want to make sure that any choices we make going down this path to continuous improvement are ones that benefit our corporation and maintain the respect um, and quality education that I think we're fortunate enough to provide for people. I don't want to let this uh, just slide by because I I think that you guys work with it every day, but I don't think the general population really understands that the Monroe County Community School Corporation is one of the lower funded, lowest funded per student 
um, corporations in, in the state. So, I'll, I'll give you the 25 words or less. Uh, in fact, I'm having a meeting with Peggy Welch on Monday morning, and she wants to talk about funding. But uh, if you go back in the history of the genesis of the MCCSC, back, it, it, the MCCSC came into existence in 1968. And in 1972, under Governor Bowen, there was a property tax control, complete reform of the way in which schools were funded and, and local property taxes were, were used to support schools. One of the things that they did at that point in time with that legislation was they froze the local property tax levy the amount of money that we were gaining from property taxes. They froze the amount. They didn't freeze the rate. They froze the amount of money. And because we were not levying the local maximum levy, we weren't gaining as much from local property taxes as we could have. And that inequity is still present 35 years later. Mm -hmm. It's still there. And uh, so consequently, and Tim Thrasher, our controller, can give you better, more accurate data than, than what I'm sharing. But it explains the difference of, of why we receive, I think, the figure that I've heard Tim say, $2.5 million a year less than Columbus, 4 and a half less than, than Muncie, which are school, school corporations of comparable size and communities that would have similar expectations to, to ours. Mm -hmm. um, that makes it difficult, and I think it goes to the point uh, that Mark's talking about. So, you know, uh, the, I really think that you have to give teachers the credit for uh, and, the, and the building leadership, the, you know, the, the real credit for the kinds of things that have been accomplished in our school corporation. It's because of the quality of the people that we have uh, and, and, you know, and the kind of community expectations. But unfortunately, there, there's, because of this, there's a dissonance in terms of what people would like us to, to, to be able to do and what we're able to do. And uh, that sometimes is not comfortable. Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the performance of uh, schools in Los Angeles or Chicago public schools or even Indianapolis public schools, obviously reform is a word that fits those types of problems that exist in, in those corporations. And that's, uh, that gets a lot of national press relative to public education as a whole. And I think uh, you know, when you use the word reform with teachers in the MCCSE who are producing – good results with good kids, that kind of, you know, has a negative connotation, purposefully or not purposefully meant. I think continuous improvement is what we're all about. And um, anybody in our corporation that would be against continuous improvement probably wouldn't feel comfortable being a part of this corporation. So I think we're all about continuous improvement and investigating models and applications of delivery of curriculum that can make us the best that we can possibly be. Well, the way I see this, it's just another option. Right. So it's a, per a certain percentage of the students who would be interested in this option. And then you're looking at new tech specifically right now. But as I understand it, there are other models that you're also investigating. Mm -hmm. So at some point there will be – there might be new tech and then um, another model in place somewhere else and another model somewhere else. So it's really just a, a question of increasing each student's options. That's exactly what it is. I'm giving parents and students choices. And in, in some of these, that the choices – and the kinds of programs or the models being looked at are somewhat different than what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not to say that you wouldn't find project learning, project-based learning in north and south or in the middle schools or in the elementary. Your kids have experienced this in our school corporation. They've just not necessarily received it in as focused and as concentrated a manner. That There's not a whole school organized with that mm -hmm. as, as the primary focus as you found in, in New Tech. Um, and I mean, I th they, they're very candid. And when you talk with the kids, that um, um, some kids will thrive in that environment. Other kids will try this and say, "This really isn't for me," and they go back to their home school. It is about choice in giving kids. We know that there are different learning styles. Uh, there is no silver bullet, and so it's a matter of of trying to provide some choices that, that will be attractive to kids and attractive to parents and things are saying, this is how my son or daughter learns and that they would thrive in this school. Now, there, it, it's even more than that, though, because um, I think to some extent we're, we're trying to, to be a part of our community and acknowledging that with the growing uh, 
life sciences mm-hmm. initiative, uh, yeah. initiative in the community that I'm not, you know, and I'm not saying that that only kids that that are interested in that would would want to go to this school. One of the young women who spoke to us uh, said she wants to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, but she chose that school, uh, and I'm assuming that some of our kids would make similar choices. But on the other hand. Uh, we know that there's a need in our community for people, kids who go through our schools, who come out with uh, some of the hard skills and soft skills uh, that would be um, make them attractive to, to employers in the life sciences. Our, our community has shifted from the general manufacturing job to more focused in some of the life sciences. And when companies in our community say that they intend to create 1,200 jobs over the next five years, very selfishly, I'd like to, our graduates to be right. at the front of the line in getting those jobs. I know that's not going to happen, but I'd like for them to have that shot. Mm-hmm. Well, we All don't right. row together. We row in a circle. So <laughs> let's, let's, Let me give the phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348, and the email is noon at indiana.edu, and we have an email. We do, and um, we don't always mention who sends the emails, but I think in this case it's uh, important to mention that this was sent in by Valerie Miriam, who is a school board member. So it begins, uh, says, I'll be in a meeting at noon and unable to call in or listen. Uh, we should tell Valerie she can listen on, online. Or, I mean, she she yeah. can listen later on. Yeah, right? yeah later. Yeah. Um, at any rate. <laughs> no um, excuse. <laughs> she, she says that she's had any number of people ask her what population New Tech is directed towards. At one time, we were told it was geared to those who most likely would not continue on to four-year institutions of higher learning. Then in the forum at South, we were told it was geared to those going on to college. Do you have a better feel for this after your visit? I think that's a great question because there has been a lot of misinformation. That was one of the things I wanted to clarify when I was on the trip uh, for the second time this year. Uh, New Tech will tell us that approximately 95% of their students go on to uh, college education. Uh, Mark Morrison, uh, in his visit to Bloomington South, also said that uh, in his eyes, uh, New Tech would serve best the average performing student who saw fairly small amounts of relevancy in the traditional model of delivery of the curriculum um, and needed kind of more of a relevancy uh, understanding as to why they were in school and what they were supposed to accomplish while they're there. So I think as we talked earlier, it can serve uh, the high-end kid to the medium-range kid uh, to lower-range academic performing student. Uh, but primarily, his clear message to us in his visit was average performing academic student who was struggling with the purpose and relevancy behind why they were in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeff, any? I would just echo what Mark had to say. I think that uh, you know the, the new tech design really presents the curriculum in a way in which kids drive the instruction. Um, the, the instructors set up the problems for the kids and give them parameters within which to operate. But the delivery of content um, really comes from questions that the kids have of the teachers about solving the problem. They can request what they call a seminar to learn something from the teachers that's specific to the problem they're trying to solve. And the problems are set up in a way that kids need to ask questions about specific areas of content so that you're sure that the standards are being covered and you're sure that the content that you're supposed to cover um, within your curriculum come out as questions that kids are going to have. And because of the fact that kids enter into that seminar having a question about the content, they're more likely to sit and listen and to take in the information that the instructor is presenting them with rather than setting through a lecture on the front end Mm -hmm. because now they know I have to solve this problem. And in order to solve this problem, I need some knowledge that I don't have. So they talk about setting up the problem so that kids learn on a need-to-know basis. Uh, And then the the problem really creates the need. That's interesting. And then the teacher becomes the facilitator or the coach. It was interesting watching kids use the, the computers. Uh, to to get information, the need to know is a is a perfect example. One of the things that I think that as there are more and more uh, of these schools replicated across the country, you'll find that they're in a, a fairly broad range of socioeconomic circumstances mm-hmm. and and 
performing or not so well performing schools uh, or school corporations. And so uh, one of the concerns that we have talked about, and um, we're not there yet, but would be the selection criteria. Um, that there, I've heard both Mark and Jeff express a concern that uh, be, be, that as we look at the selection criteria, that the, it, the, the, that the selection criteria reflect um, the composition of our student body. And that's when, when you make this a self-selection process, you say, I want to go to new tech, and then your number's drawn out of a hat. Uh, do those that volunteer or say, I want to go to get on, on the list, are, is, are they representative of our student body? So um, that's, that's a question that we don't necessarily have the answer to. Um, but I know that, for example, in talking with people that the New Tech High School in Sacramento and the ones in Los Angeles are very different in their student composition than the school we saw. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would hope that, that if we decide to do this, that our school would be reflective of the students in our school corporation as well. Very quickly before we get to an email, I, I would just add that I think there's a, a, maybe a question about the name. I mean, New Technology High School sort of gives an, a, an image of this heavily wired place where kids who are really interested in technology, geeks and nerds, as some of the students said, you know, there was a misconception. Kids didn't want to go there because they thought it was all geeks and nerds. But it really wasn't. Um, and it's not like just the elite, uh, very brainiac kind of kids that are really highly motivated to be involved with technology. Um, and before I went, when we talked around our office, that was sort of a concern. Is this what these kids are going to be like? And it absolutely was not the case. And the new tech people will be quick to agree with what you just said. Um, it's not necessarily new because project-based learning has been around for some time. I'm, I'm really impressed with the software and the support that they provide to allow teachers to maybe do project-based learning uh, at a higher level than maybe what some of us do now. I know if I was a part of New Tech, my project-based learning experiences that I'm providing for kids might be better based on all the resources that they have. Mm-hmm. But project-based learning is not new, and tech is, yeah, definitely a part of it. But I think more than anything else, it's just an opportunity for those alternative types of kids in their own description of themselves to feel accepted in a smaller learning community and focus on a structured delivery model that allows them to learn in a way that is enjoyable for them. We want some, we've got some kids that want to get in. Yeah, this is great. Um, I'm happy yeah. to say that uh, this email has come from Bloomington High School North. Uh, this it's is, not a kid skipping class. <laughs> no, it, no, listen. It begins at, this is Mr. Helmsberg's ninth grade English class at Bloomington High School North. That'd be Helmsing. Helmsing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Um, Apparently, I didn't do so well in English class. I didn't read that right. Um, We would like to know what a typical day is like for a student at the New Tech High School. That's a great question. Um, It is a great question. The the typical day is probably not all that different from what kids experience at Bloomington North right now because Napa New Tech, at least, operates on a block schedule. And um, their block schedule um, uh, combines multiple classes together. Um, they may pair science and mathematics together in a block. They may pair uh, social studies and language arts in a block. They may pair uh, art and language arts in a block. Uh, depends upon how the thematic units of instruction are designed and the problems are designed for that particular content. So in terms of the way the day looks, it's really not that different from what they might experience now. And I might also add that Mr. Helmsing's class in particular may not experience a huge difference because he is one of the teachers that is piloting uh, a one-to-one computing initiative in our current uh, uh, English department where students have access to uh, a Linux-based desktop machine on a one-to-one ratio and uh, utilize open source software and a program called Moodle, which is an online course management software similar to um, Blackboard or courseware that, that a university might use to organize curriculum. Um, what, what a student would see in a new tech uh, environment is they would walk into a classroom and they would receive um, via the software, which happens to be Lotus Notes currently, but they're currently piloting a web-based version of that, a web portal, um, that would 
provide the student with a project brief, a description of the kinds of activities that they need to complete in a problem that they need to solve. Um, it also would include a rubric of how the students are going to be evaluated so they know on the front end what the teacher is going to be looking for so there are no surprises. Um, it's not like the old uh, black box where you get an assignment, you, you go, go back and you complete it and try to guess what the instructor wants and you, you throw it in the assignment box and magically out of grade appears. You really have a pretty good idea on the front end of what the expectations are. Um, so in terms of what they currently experience, I wouldn't think it would be that different um, structurally. Uh, just the assignments are more geared uh, to project-based activities and less lecture. Um, it's, it's really lecture upon request of the students. Here we have this issue we need to know how to solve. We don't have the information that we need to do it or the skill to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to request that the teachers come together and provide us with the information that we need. Yeah. If you look at the schedule, there, because of the size of the school, in order to get some of the flexibility that they want, they do more integration. Um, so, in as Jeff said, with the language arts, they have a course called American Studies. That's U.S. History and English. Mm -hmm. They have a class in World Studies, World History and English. Um, that they do that kind of thing in terms of, of more efficient use. But there, there's some characteristics of, of, the, of the school. Because it's project-based, there are some things that I would almost – they're not independent study, but they have some of the characteristics of that that, um, that they're – it's interesting in looking uh, with the students. Uh, our tour guide went online to show us her – uh, she can access the, the grade book, and you can look at, at her grades. And one of the things that she's graded on is uh, work ethic. That and you know that's not a hard skill; that's a soft skill. But it's something that in the graduation work group, as as our community has talked to us about our graduates, it's something that it's important to them. Mm -hmm. And the kids can look at their grade at any time and see where they're doing well. They're doing really well in content, but here's my work ethic, and the work ethics is 53%. And the student knows this is not acceptable. I've got to do some things here. And they know the kinds of things that, that affect that, that grade. They also do a great deal of uh, one of the other grade indicators in terms of the skills that they're looking for is, uh, is uh, public speaking. Mm. And they do – the kids that took us on the, on the tours, that was part of their – they're great. I mean that that was that was one of the things that they do for credit in speech, um, and um, those are not typical kinds of experiences that that our kids are are having. But it's a different way of getting at some of these skills that that the community, in their case, the business community, said we'd like to see graduates have, mm -hmm. and so. Um, it, it's it's a it's not a real simple model. It, it it creates a culture, and you're going to hear that. I think as we talk about this more, you're going to hear that that word because they're trying to create an, a supportive environment for kids. But the burden of responsibility is it, to a great extent placed on the student. Well, I was real impressed with the report card and, and heard many positive comments from teachers and others about. Basically, that report card set up to measure the 21st century skills that we've been talking quite a bit about in our graduation work group. Mm -hmm. So not, you don't just get an A in math, but you get an evaluation from your teachers in all these variety of different 21st century skills areas that have been mentioned here in part. And uh, you know, you, when you combine those over the course of several years and several subjects, you get a pretty good indication uh, when you put together a senior portfolio hmm. relative to where you are with your strengths and some of the areas that you may still yeah. need to improve. So. Well, one, the, of the, yeah, one, the, ahead. one of the students, there, there are basically eight categories that the report card looks at, and, and one of them is oral communication and presentation skills, written communication, teamwork, uh, uh, work ethic. I mean, there's a, whole, there's a whole list. But one of the young ladies that, that gave a tour for us indicated um, – that, that she really signed up for the elective class that actually is responsible for giving the tours. And this is a, a high-profile school. Visitors are in and out of the building all the time. And they've actually designed a four-credit class that kids can take as an elective that will help them hone their presentation skills and their ability to be comfortable in front of groups of people. So one of the young ladies that was giving the tour said, 
I realized relatively quickly that this was a skill that I needed to really hone. I was uncomfortable talking in front of groups of people, and so this gave me a way to put myself into an elective class where we talked about the skill set that I need to have, and then it gave me a real-life opportunity to practice it with people from outside of my community. And, and so that was a really neat eye-opening experience for her that she could make a selection like that. All right. We're going to have to take a short break now. We could talk about this for a long time. Before we, we go, let's, uh, let's congratulate uh, Mr. Helmsing's class on their good taste in radio. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about uh, some changes in the high schools. We have three guests today, Mark Fletcher um, and Jeff Henderson, who are both principals, Bloomington High School South and North, and Jim Harvey, the interim superintendent of schools at the Monroe County Community School Corporation. Um, We will be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations, Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. On Sundays during the month of February, WFIU will air Life Sciences Reshaping Your World. It's a new series of four one-hour programs delving into the exciting area of breakthrough technologies. Life Sciences Reshaping Your World airs Sundays during February at 8 p.m. More information about this and many other events and the WFIU schedule at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Mark Fletcher, the principal of Bloomington High School South, Jeff Henderson, the principal of Bloomington High School North, and Jim Harvey, the interim superintendent of schools at the Monroe County Community School Corporation. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. And, uh, you know, the host just kind of let us go over the break time. I need to apologize to Jim, who I had on the phone for a long time and sort of forgot about him as we were discussing things, and he hung up. So maybe Jim will call back, but we also have a call right now from Rita. Rita? Hi. Hi. I'm a parent of students in MCCSE, and I am a teacher in MCCSE. And I attended the forum when the New Tech High School people presented, and I had two concerns. Um, Well, one is that I feel that we do a lot of project-based learning already. I teach in the middle school, and that is the entire base, not the entire basis, but the whole focus in our teaming is working with students throughout all of their development. Um, And so I wanted to encourage people to think about the good things that we are already doing here at MCCSC, that we don't need to import a new model because teachers are already doing this. And then I guess my biggest concern was that um, when the presenters explained the schedule for the week, they mentioned how much time teachers would have for collaborating. It was at least three hours a week that was set aside out of the school day for students, for teachers to collaborate and work. And I was wondering if this would be part of the model here at MCCSE. Who wants to take that? Uh, in regards to the, the uh, common prep time or collaboration that needs to take place with teachers, I think that's a critical component to the success of any model. And the goal would be to, um, in order to find that time, is to create some common prep time for those teachers teaching the same courses so that you could collaborate with the teachers that are in the room with you at the same time because your prep time uh, was coordinated in such a way that you had that time together. That's about the only way we could do that under our current schedule, which is from 8 to 2.30 for teachers and 8 to 2.30 for students. Yeah, I guess the thing that I would uh, reiterate, is, as, as Mark mentioned earlier and Jim mentioned earlier, we do have a lot of excellent things going on in our school system. And, and 
this the investigation of this model is not to take away from those excellent things and excellent teaching that we have going on. What, what I do think exists with this model um, that perhaps doesn't exist in some of the current problem-based learning that we have going on in the school system is a, a really tight structure around um, the way in which the information is presented to the kids um, through, through the use of technology and the way in which kids are evaluated on multiple aspects of any given project. Um, I think that... Uh, as mentioned by our caller and, and by us, we do have some really phenomenal things going on, and, and we don't want to dilute that at all. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant of the reality that we have kids who are uh, matriculating through our system and are not as successful as we would like them to be and that don't necessarily see the relevance. And uh, I think that this is one menu of choices that – I, I would like to see us offer in the MCCSC in the future. I think that the thing that you gain from small schools of choice is the fact that there's buy-in on the front end from the student that I have elected to attend this particular school because I believe in the things that I'm going to be taught there are applicable and relevant to my interests as a student. The system that we have designed in the MCCSC now and in most school corporations across the state Dictate your attendance at a particular building based on where you live in the district. Mm -hmm. And small schools of choice eliminates that for kids who would choose to elect one of those options, and it creates buy-in on the front end. I don't attend here because I just happen to live next to the school or in the district of the school, mm -hmm. but I've chosen to make this uh, uh, where I attend. And many of them build in on the front end a commitment from the parents that there'll be X number of hours of involvement at the school in a given semester. Um, I think that the, the advantage that exists with the new tech model is the fact that the classrooms are double the size of a normal classroom. Both content area teachers are in the classroom at the same time. And there's double the amount of students. So the, the, the ratio in terms of teacher to student is a little bit smaller than what we have now. They recommend around 25 to 1, and we staff just a little bit higher than that. Um, uh, but many of our classrooms are 25 to 1. Uh, but it, it puts those two teachers in, in the classroom together. We have a lot of thematic units of instruction that take place like at Bloomington North, but in most cases the social studies and English teacher teach the same group of kids, but they don't teach them in the same room, nor do they teach them in the same period. A group of kids will travel from an English teacher to a social studies teacher whose content is related, but the interplay between the two professionals doesn't exist in front of the kids like it does in a new tech model because they're in separate classrooms. So I think that that whole common planning idea and, and the fact that the teachers are actually physically in the classroom together at the same time allows for a lot of that uh, uh, collaboration to take place in front of kids. Yeah. But I, I, I think... I just point out, too, that at, um, I teach at Jackson Creek, and we have block scheduling, and we often do cross-curricular units where we just, because of our scheduling, we are able to have two teachers in the room with the two groups of children. And so I do lots of collaboration between subject areas. So we do have that model. That's great. And I, I would not want to leave the impression, however, that the entire school is organized that way. There are a number of classes that are what I would, as Jeff described, an American Studies kind of class. But there are classes that are taught by a single teacher in a conventional size classroom, too. Uh, so it's a mixture of both. I'd say probably half and half. All right, Rita. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. All right. 855-0811, and noon at indiana.edu. Um, I, I do want to mention that, that this corporation has been studying this for more than a year, mm -hmm. correct? And, correct. And, Jim, I know that you've got a time frame that you're sort of looking at for making a recommendation. Could you talk about that? Well, the replication planning grant that we applied for last fall, um, which was uh, approved, and we, that's basically the, uh, what provided the funds for most of the people who went uh, to California this week, um, uh, came from that, that grant, has a decision t deadline. This grant actually goes through uh, December 1st of this year, but 
uh, if we were planning, uh, if we were to do this, and uh, the start date would be fall of 08. And so you can't wait till December of 07 to make that kind of a decision. And so backing from that, when when's a reasonable time to, to for uh, our board to, to be informed, uh, our community to be informed, our faculties to be informed, um, that would allow that to occur but also be sufficient in advance that you could do the appropriate planning identification of a principal and, and the, that first-year staff. And so I arbitrarily gave myself a deadline and, and shared with the board that I wanted to give them a recommendation as to what I thought we ought to do on, on March the 6th, which is still out there a ways. I don't anticipate that the board is going to approve one way or the other the recommendation that that night but um and so at this point i'm not sure whether i'm going to give it to them in an information report or an action report it'll probably be an information report because they've communicated to me that they're uh they don't they don't want to make a decision that night and so uh sometime either in late march or or april i would anticipate that the board would would make a decision but that's the kind of timeline that we're on uh, that because really, we're dealing with this or have dealt with this thus far um, almost at what you'd call the, the strategic plan level. We've not really developed tactical plans. I can't tell you what the selection criteria are. I can't tell you what the selection process is going to look like. I can't even tell you exactly uh, what the curriculum is. Um, what would the location be? Do you have that thought don't, of? Don't know that either. You know, the, we're working on that. You know, and, and we're doing some work on that. But those are really tactical kinds of decisions, operational decisions in terms of what do we do and how do we do it. Uh, we've still been operating on the the broad level. Is is this something that we should do? Uh, why should we do it? Um, and so, but we're clearly at the near the end of that that stage. And so, some of the things that with regard to your facility question, I had a tour uh, last week, I think, at South with Mr. Fletcher. I've got a tour at North uh, in another week with Mr. Henderson to look at possible facilities if we choose to go as a school within a school. Um, I'm also doing some exploration in terms of uh, is it feasible or possible for us to consider a standalone uh, school that's not a school within a school. So the answer is no. I don't even know where where it would be. But you're going to get a recommendation in in six weeks that will have some of that. Okay. Okay. We have a, f- a couple of phone calls. We only have about ten minutes to go. Things time flies when you're having a good time. So we need to be more precise well, in our well, answer. No, you're doing fine. But, <laughs> okay. But I just want to give you the you know the time. Uh, so Tom's on the line first. Tom. Yes, uh, I have a question about the technologies that were uh, discussed earlier on in terms of the new teaching techniques. Uh, my kids are in university, and I also teach at university where we have similar, uh, I try to use similar what we call problem-based instruction. And one of the issues with the university is that if your kids are not in Alps, the third of your kids in the class will be kind of special needs kids, or they'll be ESL kids. And I'm wondering about how that this sort of new technology scales with the um, with problem needs kids, and because I'm walking down the street, I'll take my question off the air. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Jim. Do you? Yeah, I'll, that that's a, a a really good question, and I didn't see when at New Tech. I really uh, the kids that I saw, I really didn't get a sense that the the language was an issue in terms of ESL. Um, I saw a number of racial uh, mixes in terms of diversity there, but I didn't, you know, I'm not aware of any information with regard to language proficiency, uh, English proficiency. Um, I'm also not aware in terms of, of, of selection criteria where spatial needs students would, would fit. I know that, I, that there, was, there is a spatial needs, a self-contained, uh, what I would call, a ser- or what I observe to be a severe and profound classroom on that campus. That, but um, I don't know if um, uh, the, the students that generally we saw, how many of them were, would be identified as special education students. I would think, however, that the model lends itself to um, 
being appropriate for some kids. I, again, that is an operational question. I don't think we've defined that um, as to um, – I think the uh, – we ask a specific question and we obviously haven't had a chance to debrief as a large group yet and, and we toured the facility in, in different groups. But we ask specific questions about the self-contained program that Mr. Harvey just mentioned. And that is a, a program in that facility that's housed there. Um, but it is an 18 to 21-year-old uh, transitional program that really isn't tied to New Tech at all. It, it was a program that's just housed in that particular building. Um, there were students there who were uh, on IEPs or individual education plans. Um, there were, I think, 10 in, in the population that were on I, active IEPs according to some of the statistics that we were given. And I believe there were 15 or 20 students who were on 504 plans, um, which is another uh, modification plan um, for those students who don't necessarily qualify for uh, special education services but need some modifications in order to be successful in the school. I think in California what you find is, is the majority of the language that uh, is dealt with in California happens to be Spanish. Um, and, and there are large quantities of kids there who, uh, uh, because of California's geographic location, are bilingual. And so I think there are also a number of instructors that were in the program that were also bilingual. Um, so I think that the, the language barrier there is, is, is a little different than, than we deal with in Bloomington. I know at North we have 40 native languages spoken in our building by our student population. So to narrow in and deliver ESL instruction uh, to one target audience is, is, is not feasibly possible for us. We have to deliver ESL instruction to a real broad mix of students who come from a variety of different backgrounds. All right. We have another call. Let's go to Lisa. Lisa? Oh, hi. hi uh, this is kind of related to Tom's question. Um, my son has uh, is autism spectrum, and he's currently an eighth grader at Jackson Creek heading for South. And uh, in the autism community, there's a push for away from accommodation towards personal advocacy, and yet he hasn't been successful in group work. And uh, you actually kind of answered this already. So my question is, uh, when you visited the New Tech high schools, uh, was there any data for including and mainstreaming students with special needs? And you said you mentioned IEPs, but uh, you know autism can be on the smarter end sometimes, and that's where my son is. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Thank you. All right, thanks. Sure. Um, one of the one of the individuals that we were on the tour with, um, Mark Morrison, who happens to be the director of leadership development, he was the uh, founding principal of the Napa New Tech uh, High School, and now works for the foundation. And his primary responsibility is to help principals develop uh, in in understanding the model and the leadership required to help sustain its culture. Um, Mark mentioned that he has seen students uh, who have. Uh, autism spectrum disorders that have functioned uh, extremely well in the, in the environment and uh, many of them have really increased uh, their ability to uh, uh, have positive peer social interaction um, as a result of, of the teamwork and as a result of um, the fact that uh, all team members really kind of rally around uh, students and help them uh, overcome weaknesses that they might have. One of the students that uh, was part of a student panel that we had right at the end mentioned the fact that um, a year ago she wouldn't be able to sit in front of us and talk without stuttering 14 times. Um, but she mentioned that through her constant practice in the, in, the, in the group work environment and the presentations that they have to give, she's developed a way to get over that. And uh, so I think there are opportunities really for all kids there who uh, like to learn in that environment. Well, I think, too, that there was, um, at least in the op my observations of kids, I saw more kids working together than I saw kids working alone. Uh, they were... You know, they were sitting, talking to one another, and then one of the kids might turn around and start on their computer to try and find a piece of information. But um, it tended to be more that kind of activity than kids acting alone. And the, the student panel that talked with us also talked about when they get a problem statement, they form groups and they sign contracts in terms of basically 
uh, contracts amongst themselves in terms of who's going to be responsible for what, what they obligate to the group that I will do this part of research, I will be part of the presentation, I will do these these reading assignments or whatever the work uh, needs to be. So that, that, that teamwork concept and that work ethic um, is part of the expectation and the culture in the school. And, and given the question, I you know, this is something that um, I think that a parent who knows a child is, is going to, to need to, to study and try and understand what this school is about so that they would understand whether or not this is appropriate choice for their child, whether they're special needs, autistic, or, or, or not. Along those lines, um, for people at home who are interested in finding out more about this, um, do you have a website you would recommend that they check out or a, any other resource that uh, well, they could look into on they, their own? They will get more information if they simply go to the, the New Tech uh, Foundation website. Uh, there are a number of things there that they can look at um, far beyond. I don't know that we have any information on the MCCSC mm-hmm. website yet. but uh, There may be some links from BloomingtonEducates.org. Yeah. Um, you might be able to check there or um, use everyone's favorite uh, search engine, Google, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and it's what the kids were using. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think just a couple things I want to say real quick before we run totally out of time, but uh, at the risk of being accused of sucking up, which people who know me know <laughs> probably is not the case. Uh, I appreciate, Bob, your uh, support of being a part of the trip and the HT's commitment to uh, your involvement in seeing firsthand what we're looking at. And I appreciate Mr. Harvey um, putting together a trip that allowed for honest dialogue about the positives and the negatives or the concerns that we have relative to to new tech or any model. And there's been a lot of work done uh, under his leadership since the beginning of this school year. And, and I hope one of the things you saw, Bob, was that there's no resistance to change. There's no uh, hesitancy in regards to a confusion about uh, being able to see a big picture or a visionary type of a situation for our school corporation. It's just with a limited amount of resources and the outstanding job that our teachers do right now, we want to make sure that our decisions are the correct ones that are best for kids and not just a bullet on somebody's resume somewhere uh, as they go on to do something else. So I just wanted to... Okay. And we are about out of time. I want to mention that uh, you know, I did go on the trip, so I'll be writing a lot. I've actually written a lot already. Now I have to be an editor, you know, and figure out how we can get on the paper. So we'll have websites um, available, you know, as soon as I get everything done and we get it edited. So there'll be a lot more in the paper next week about this trip. And I hopefully, hopefully it'll give people an idea of where else to go to to get more information. Um, and I would say that, you know, as you've, I think people have heard today, there are lots of positives to this school. There are lots of questions about its application here. So there's going to be a lot more discussion as we go along. And now I've taken the last of our time. So I want to thank our guests today, Mark Fletcher, Jeff Henderson, and Jim Harvey. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.